Hey, how you doing? Yes. Yes. Love you guys. Uh, good seeing you. My name is Ben, if you don't know who I am. Uh, I work here sometimes, and uh, I am glad to be up here with you all. Um, here is, uh, here's what we're doing tonight. We are uh, we're wrapping up a series that we've been in for the last five weeks. It's a series where we've been talking about the forgotten functions of the church. And so it hasn't been this all-encompassing uh, ecclesiology, right, fancy word for the theology of our church. It hasn't been an all-encompassing theology of the church. But what we wanted to do, Josh and I, was we wanted to, we wanted to highlight some things that I think certainly from my own conviction uh, and that we've seen as, as leaders are things that we drop the ball on as the church often. Uh, they're these forgotten functions of the church. And so what I'm going to do tonight is I'm going to kind of recap, probably the first third of the sermon is going to be recapping, hey, where we've been and reminding ourselves and asking for the Lord to remind us of, of what we're supposed to be. Uh, and, then, and then I'm going to talk about uh, this last forgotten function of the church. And then I'm going to talk about where we're going as a ministry and a little bit of vision casting for that. So I'm excited about it because it's a little bit of a different night in the sense of uh, it's going to be some vision casting and it's going to be uh, hopefully... Um, a, a time that we can really look at to say, man, this is who we are. This is what we believe. This is who we want to be. This is who we desire. This is who we biblically think we should be. And so let's pursue to, uh, to that end. So let me, uh, let me do just that. Let me recap uh, the church. So what the church should be, um, and these are forgotten functions that we talked about. The first one is the church should be a family. We are a family um, as the church. And, and how we defined that was we looked at this word, ecclesia. And it was this Greek word that was used for church. And where that came from was it was the idea of someone who professes Jesus Christ as their Savior. And someone who says, I'm putting my faith in Jesus Christ. He is the one, not me. He is the one who I surrender to and submit to. Uh, he is who he said he, he is. And so I want to follow him. And so what we had uh, was this profession of faith in Matthew 16. And, uh, and often, often we get this wrong. Right? Often what we do is we think of the church as a show and not a family. And so we were reminded, okay, the, the church is not a show. The church is not an event. It's a family to belong to. Um, and, uh, and, and that's huge. And what that means is it means that I'm committed to something. Right? It means that I'm, I'm bought in by blood into this family unit. And what, what the effects of that are is it's things like, man, I got some weird uncles. You know, there's some weird uncles in, in my church, if, that, if that's how you want to look at it. There's some preferences that when you sit around the Thanksgiving table with your family, you're like, man, that cousin is weird, right? <laughs> but they're your family, and so you're committed to it, and you love them, and even when you don't like them, you love them, uh, and, and there's this bond for that, because the mistake would be if we see church as, a, as an event, or we see it as a show, then we're driven by our preferences, then we're driven by our preferences and we're, we're driven by this intrinsically wrong thing to say, what can this do for me and, and how is this right? I don't know if I like this song or I don't know if I like this guy or I don't like this person or I think there's more pretty girls at this church or more pretty guys at this church or whatever it is. And so all of a sudden we, we become defined and driven by our preferences rather than committing to a family that knows us, that we know and they know us and can speak into our life. And that's part of God's design uh, to see it that way. We're called to be in a family. That's what the church is. Second thing we talked about is we're called in the church to speak hard truth. We speak hard truth in the church. And let me say this at the beginning. Um, before I get into speaking hard truth, we always lead with grace, right? I'm gonna unpack what it looks like to speak hard truth and remind us of that, but we are always, we always lead with grace. And the reason we lead with grace is 
because we have been led with grace, because we are in need of grace, because we have a God who extended grace to us first, who met us in all of our lies and all of our junk and all of our mess, and he met us there with the grace of Jesus Christ and has brought us into his family if, if we profess that Jesus is our Lord, if we've committed our life to Christ. And so, uh, and so we always lead with grace, and that should go without saying. Sadly, it doesn't, but it should go without saying in our lives. But the thing that I think we forget even more, I think it's a hard thing to do, is we're also called to speak truth. Now, we should be gracious, we should be loving, but for brothers and sisters who are in our family, not for outsiders, not for people who aren't Christians, right, but for people who say, man, I'm a believer too, our role in the church that we forget sometimes is we've got to lovingly have a really hard conversation with them. Part of God's design, part of how God designs the church and, and for us to be able to be shaped to look more like Christ is using brothers and sisters to speak hard truth into your life, into my life, using you to have a hard conversation to say, hey, I think there's a blind spot in your life and I think that's gonna cost you and being able to have that. And that's hard to do. We don't want to do that. Um, we, uh, we, it's hard to do because there's gonna be rejection. You're gonna get vilified. You're all kinds of things when, when you do that. And yet that's one of the things that we're called to do. And here's the kicker too, we're called to receive it. We're called to ask for it. We looked at a ton of scriptures for this and the reality is the entire Bible is an argument Almost the entire Bible is an argument to the fact of the entire word of God is a bunch of believers speaking truth into other believers' lives, using the word of God, saying, hey, I think there's a blind spot. All of the epistles in the New Testament are, especially the Pauline epistles, are Paul sitting there writing, saying, hey, guys, you as a church, there's this blind spot and this blind spot, and I want you to love Jesus more, and I want you to know, and I want you to experience it. So here, let me point out some things. I love, I'm going to tell you hard things. So we are a family, we speak hard truth, and we also love hard people. We love hard people. Um, here's the thing, if our, community, um, if our community just looks like a bunch of people that we would just hang out with anyway, then we're doing something wrong. And, and Josh got up here a couple weeks ago and preached on this idea. Um, and I think it's this really powerful, important thing that if we're going to shape the church, if we're going to be a part of this ministry, if we're going to say, okay, what does it look like to really utilize God's tool for my growth? And it looks like being around people that you wouldn't pick to be around. And, and I think one of the applications of that is people of other races. Yes, obviously. Right? It's sad that, yes, that's obvious. Right? If we are followers of God, if we believe in God's word and his design, then yes, our, our church should look our community, the community that you walk with shouldn't just all be people who look exactly like you, but also the, their personalities shouldn't, shouldn't have to be like you also. And so for me, right, if you've ever done the Myers-Briggs test, I am an ENTP, right? If you, if you are an ENTP, right, we connect, right? We're just the same, right? We're gonna hang out and we're gonna be really loud and we're gonna flail our arms a lot and, you know, we're gonna cry during This Is Us and we're gonna do all these things, right? We're gonna, we're gonna be... But if everyone else in my life just looks like me from my personality, right? And it's all people that I just enjoy hanging out with. And, it's, and my community is just people that are easy to love and easy to hang out with. And we're just, you know, 1 Corinthians 12 talks about the body of Christ being, he, he uses the illustration, Paul does, of an actual body. And they're different parts of the body, different members of the body. And so if I'm a, if I'm a spleen in the body, right? I'm a spleen. And if you are an elbow, Right? But I know how spleens work, and I spend all my time with spleens. That's not a healthy body, right? If your body has nine spleens and no elbows, you're weird, right? 
That's not a healthy body. You have no elbows and you have way too many spleens. That's the body of Christ. If you look around you and you say, yeah, I just love all these people. These are all my friends. I get along with them. This is easy. Well, great. Good for you. That's an awesome click you got. That's great. That's nothing inherently wrong with that. That just isn't the kingdom of God. That's an awesome worldly community of friends that you have, and I hope you encourage each other in your faith. But if everyone in your circle, if there's not other people that challenge you and challenge your personality and are hard to love, then we don't need the Holy Spirit for that. Right? We don't need the Holy Spirit for that. These are people I'd love hanging out with anyway. And as soon as somebody does become hard to love, well, then I'm going to move out of that community. I'm going to push them out, or I'm going to slide out and find a different group of people that I have good chemistry with. And the church should be about loving hard people in a way that requires the Holy Spirit. I should have people in my life where it's like, this doesn't make sense. Like this friendship, this community doesn't make sense outside of the power of the Holy Spirit that unites us because we're all indwelled with the same spirit. We're not just a bunch of spleens. We're called to love hard people. Find those people in the community, welcoming those people in. It's really dangerous if we look up, look up, and we just all look alike and act alike and have the same personality. Um, that's not the kingdom. And then the last thing from last week we talked about was we love people in a way that costs us, right? So we're a family, we speak hard truth, we love hard people, and we love people in a way that should cost us, right? There was a, a leader who uh, came to our renovate project last semester. It's our Sunday night thing. And uh, he came and he was, talking, he was talking about a ministry that was helping people walk out of really deep lifestyle addictions in their life. Uh, and brilliant guy, godly guy. And um, he had seen just a ton of fruit of these people who were just stuck in just lifestyle addiction of sin that just was robbing them of life, just robbing them of life, robbing them of joy. And we talked about, okay, how do you get out of that, Right? How do you get out of this lifestyle of, of sin and this lifestyle of maybe a pattern that's just really destructive in your life? And one of the big things he said that has stuck with me ever since was he talked about 2 a.m. people and our need to have 2 a.m. people in our lives. And what he means by that was the idea of, man, when you're struggling at 2 a.m., these are the people that you call, right? At 2 a.m. when it's like, oh my gosh, that we have a community, that the church is designed to be a community of 2 a.m. people that are reaching out to each other, serving each other. When it's inconvenient, Josh, when he preached it, shared the story of Graham, who actually gave his kidney to Danny, two guys who were a part of this fellowship, uh, part of this community of, of believers, right? A dude gave another dude his kidney. You only have two kidneys, most of us, right? Right, that's half. You gave away half of your kidneys to a guy. That's incredible and sacrificial. And it's this thing, say, hey man, I need a kidney. Oh, I got one. Here, you can have it. And it was pretty much that easy, I'm pretty sure. And then it was just over. It took about half a day in a parking lot of Popeye's. It was amazing. <clears throat> Does that make sense, right? We're called to be people. We're called to be 2 a.m. people that, that love in a way that costs us, right? A family that loves each other and serves each other sacrificially. That's what the body of Christ should be. The, the world should look at the church and be like, what? the way they love each other is crazy. You look at the book of Acts and the way that they came together in the early New Testament church was crazy and radical and it didn't make sense because they were so sacrificial. Josh said something last week. He said, the church is not an institution that exists to serve us. It's a gathering of believers that exists to serve each other. I love that. 
The church is not an institution that exists to serve you. It's a gathering of believers that exists to serve each other. And, and it pushes against this consumerism. And it pushes against this, well, I'm just here for me. And, and, and it pushes against that, man. If we're really a part of this function of how the church is designed, that should be it. It reminds me of 1 John 3, 16. John says, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we also should lay down our lives for our brothers. That's how we know love. Because Jesus Christ laid his life down for us. So we should go likewise and lay down our lives for our brothers. So that's where, that's where we've been, right? These four weeks to shape, man, is, these are some things that I think we, we miss. I think I miss sometimes, right? We're a family, right? We're, we're called to, to speak hard truth. We're called to love hard people, uh, and we're called to love people in a way that costs us. And so let me uh, tonight um, kind of unpack for the rest of this time uh, this last forgotten function. And there's a hundred of them, and I'm gonna see five more in my life probably this next week in areas that I need to grow in. But uh, we're gonna wrap the series up with this one. And it's maybe my most common soapbox. Uh, I think it's my favorite thing to talk about um, coming from the family that I come from of my grandparents are missionaries and my parents are missionaries and, um, and I've seen this affect my life in some pretty big ways and it's, and it's this function of the church. Um, it, yes, there's this idea that we have been saved to a family. We've been saved to a family but we have been saved for a mission. Right? We have been saved. If you are in Christ, you have been saved into a family that's amazing and there's all, these, there's all this definition of this family of how it should love, itself, how it should love each other and all but we've been saved for a purpose. I'm gonna take you to 2 Corinthians 5, 19 and 20. A couple of my favorite verses, I feel like, over the last year or so. <clears throat> this, is what, this is what it says, and I'll throw it up on the screen if that's easier for you guys. There it is. Paul says this. He says, that is, in Christ, right, in Jesus Christ, in Christ, God was reconciling to the world himself, not counting their trespasses against them. What grace and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. I love, love those two verses. In Christ, in Christ, what God was doing was he was reconciling us to himself. Our God, this verse unpacks that we have been reconciled if we're in Christ to God, not holding my trespasses, not holding all the stuff that should be held against me, not holding that against me. He reconciles us. And then this really, really important thing. We've been saved to a family, but he doesn't count us against us. And what's he do? He entrusts us the message of reconciliation. If you are saved, right, if you profess Christ, if you say, man, I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian, then you have been saved to a mission and to a purpose. You are a reconciled reconciler. That's what this verse says. You have been reconciled by grace, incredible, incredible grace. Your junk is not held against you because Jesus is that incredible. God is that gracious. You've been reconciled. Your debt is paid. And now you have been given the command to go and preach that message. Bring others into the reconciliation of Jesus Christ. We should be reconciled reconcilers. I love that. To follow Christ is to love others. To follow Christ is to be on Christ's mission. 
And there's not a place and there's not a category in the Bible that I can find where we can just follow Christ and then just live for ourselves. This is, we say this a lot, but that's okay because I, I still need to hear it. I still need to continue to grow in believing it. <clears throat> if you are following Jesus, if you're following Jesus and you're not making disciples, you're not living on mission, I don't know what you're doing. You're not following Jesus. If I say I'm following Jesus and yet I'm not on his mission, I need to wake up because I don't know who I'm following because to follow Jesus is to be on his mission. We are reconciled reconcilers. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. That's crazy and it's amazing and it is a forgotten function of the church because we turn it into our show, our family, our friends, our comfort zone, our whatever it is. We forget that we should be on mission. Um, in, on Sunday mornings here at Christ Chapel, we're going through the series, Be One, Make One, which tags right along with this. We should be a disciple and make a disciple. We're called to that. So what is at stake? Here's what I want to do. I want to ask the question, what is at stake? And then I want to ask the question, what's holding us back, right? What, why, what's at stake? And then why don't we just do it? And give some real clear next steps. And then we're going to respond and worship. And the guys are going to come back up here. So what's at stake? This mission that we're called to, to be on. The first thing that's at stake is our obedience, okay? What's at stake is our obedience. Your obedience is at stake. And so uh, let me illustrate that. We've got, my wife and I have a four-and-a-half-year-old named Charlie, and Miles is about one-and-a-half. And Charlie has just gotten to that phase where when we ask him, excuse me, when we tell him to do something, right, when we tell him to do something, he's now just kind of starting to inch into this area of, well, why? right? <laughs> which is awesome, which is really awesome to, to deal with. And my sweet wife, who's constantly discipling this four and a half year old, uh, you know, hey, Charlie, we're going to go to Target. Put on your coat, right? And he's confused because like today it's 68 degrees and tomorrow it'll be nine degrees. And so he'll be like, well, it was fine. Why would I need my coat, right? It was sweat. I was playing outside. Why? And so Danielle says, put on your coat. We're going to Target. And his response is, why? Right? Which, right, just makes you want to, like, throw him in a pool um, <clears throat> out of love, right? Speak hard truth while throwing him in a pool. Uh, right? Well, why? Why do I need to put on my coat? And, he, and here's the answer to that that we're working on. Um, there's logical reasons, right, to, to put on your coat, and we should and can as parents unpack some help our son reason well. But ultimately, here's what I want. Because mom said so, right? Because dad said so. And, and that might bring back horrible memories for some of you. Uh, but the reality is, I want that to be enough for my son. I want that to be enough for Charlie and Miles. I, I want to teach them. And, and so I'm not just being, I'm not just being um, lazy in parenting to say, oh, I'm not going to unpack to you the temperature and show you my app that says the, there's a freezing storm coming into Texas, you know, in nine minutes or whatever it is. I'm not going to even go down that road. It's not laziness on our part as parents. It's, I want him to trust us. I need him. I desire him and pray for him to trust us. And so when he says, well, why do I need to do it? Why do I need to be obedient? You tell me to put on my coat. Why? Give me more. Because mom said so should be enough for a four and a half year old. Because mom has exponentially more experience and wisdom and perspective Right, she, ha- she knows where we're going as a family. She knows what's about to happen. He is a four and a half year old, right? He doesn't, 
he doesn't always understand what's happening in Curious George, right? He gets confused in Paw Patrols at times, right, with some of the plot twists in Paw Patrols, right? So my four-and-a-half-year-old, right, who's having a hard time tracking through Paw Patrols, he is, he is exponentially, his perspective is exponentially more limited than my wife or mine. So to say, because I said so, his obedience is what's so important. And the root issue there is, does he trust us? Does he trust us? We are called to be on mission. 2 Corinthians 5, 19 and 20 is two verses that we, I pitched to you guys this evening. We're called to be on mission. What's at stake? Our obedience is at stake. We're gonna talk about some other things that are at stake, but that should be enough. That should be enough for us. What's at stake is the God of the universe who has exponentially more more perspective, infinitely more perspective and power and authority and understanding and wisdom. His his word says we should go. Matthew 28 says we should go to all the nations. Mark 16 says go and preach the gospel. Romans 10, Acts 1, Acts 13, the entire book of Acts. The word of God says we should go and make disciples and share Christ, and and be ambassadors, and be reconcilers, be used for God. And so when we ask, well, what's at stake if we just kind of continue to do the Christian bubble thing? I I check the boxes, I do the deal, but I'm not really on mission. I don't really evangelize. That's for varsity, right? What's at stake is your obedience. Disobedience to what God calls us to do. That should be enough. Do we trust him? Do we trust his word? Do we believe that he knows more than we know? Do we submit to this? My encouragement, my prayer, my proposition is yes, we need to. We desperately, desperately need to. Anything less is us spinning our wheels. Second thing that's at stake, right? Let's say you're like, all right, man, I just don't know if I am there, right? I want you to grow in your trust of the word of God. It should be enough. But also your growth is at stake. Right? If, if we're not on mission, if we don't step into the mission of God, if we don't boldly go be ambassadors like we're called to be, the other thing's at stake is your growth as a believer in Christ. Matthew 25, there's this story of the talons that Jesus tells. I'm going to read it to you. <clears throat> Matthew 25 verses, uh, starts in verse 14 if you want to read along. If not, I'll, it's a pretty easy story to track with. <clears throat> Jesus says, For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one, he gave five talents, right? Talents are a type of money, right? It's a denomination of money. Is denomination a right word? Sure. It's a denomination of money. That doesn't sound right. It's not. It's, it's, a, piece of, it's a piece of money, okay, guys? <laughs> huh, what? Currency. Guys, see, we're a family. I love this. Thank you for speaking that hard truth into my life. Thank you. What? Yes. Yes, thank you. I actually didn't hear what he said, but I'm just going to nod because we need to move on. Okay. (laughs) Gave five talents, right? He gave five talents to another one, two, and to another one, one. You track with me? Hey, here's five talents. Here's two talents. Here's one talent, right? Then he went away. So the the owner, the boss, the head guy goes away. Um, He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them. And he made five talents more. Good job, man. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. Way to go. But the one who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. 
Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five more talents, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five more. Look at me. Awesome. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. It's beautiful. And he also had the two talents come forward, saying, Master, you delivered me two talents. I've made two more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also had received the one talent. He came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. I was afraid. I was afraid to invest that talent. And I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. Here it is. It's back, it's back in your hand. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sowed and gather where I have not scattered, I have scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the other bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was mine with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has 10 talents. Jesus is telling this parable, and what he's talking about is he's, he's talking about our, our gifts, he's talking about our life, right? He's talking about are we using what God has given us? Are we investing in, in what God has given us? This, this should convict us, right? Are we taking what God has given us? If, we're, if part of our design is to be ambassadors, are we taking that role? Are we taking our giftings, our opportunities, our relationships? Are, are we taking what God has given us and just sitting on it? saying, you know, I'm just, gonna, I'm just gonna keep checking the boxes. I'm gonna go to worship experiences and church and Wednesday, but I'm just gonna keep sitting on the gifts that God has given you to multiply them. So the God of the universe says, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. You went and you invested your life. You invested the things that I gave you out. You were a good steward of it. Your growth is at stake. If you are not on mission, if you're not where Christ is in the mission of Fort Worth or your community or your family or your city or your roommates or whatever it is, if, if you're not stepping into that intentionally, then you're not going to grow in the way God has designed us to grow. That should convict us. That should, uh, that should wake us up to say, Lord, I'm not going to grow if I'm not serving, if I'm not using what you've given me. Last thing that's at stake is, is this. <clears throat> the last thing that's at stake is the lost. So God's mission to us, right? God has given us this mission. He's allowed us to be. He, he doesn't need us, and yet he allows us to be a, a really important part of this, and he, he allows us to be used, and he is using us. What's at stake is, yes, our obedience, yes, our growth, but it's also the lost, and the lost are at stake. And why God uses crazy people like us, I don't know, but he does. And he says he's going to, and he says he will. And he says, go and do. Go and work where I'm working. Go and see where I'm doing life change. What's at stake is the lost. What's at stake is, what's at stake is um, a, a young adult guy who's floundering around, trying to find purpose, struggling, moves to Florida, finds a job, hates it, sinks into a depression, is treated like garbage there, goes back home up north, 
doesn't have community, is missing Christ because he hasn't come face to face with Christ. And a high school buddy of his invites him into a community, invites him down to Texas for his wedding, invites him into his bachelor party, surrounded by a bunch of other guys who have been reconciled already, who are ambassadors, and start inviting him into our community and talking to him about Christ. And that guy comes face to face with Jesus and realizes I have been chasing all the wrong things and surrenders his life to Christ, and now he's serving and cooking on Wednesday night, right? Because God has now reconciled his life because somebody said, hey, I love you. Come and be a part of this. Come and see. Come and see what God has done. Come and see what God is doing, right? What's at stake is the young woman whose dad, uh, whose dad abused her, right? She doesn't know what a father's love looks like. Right, Because her father, and when he said he loved her, looked very, very different than when, than when she reads scripture and we hear about this heavenly father. And she comes face to face with some guys who are bold enough to start speaking hard truth into her life about how God loves her and speaking grace into her life. And the Holy Spirit gets a hold of her and changes her life. And she starts this, the, the shackles start coming off of her eyes and she starts to see that this God is so much better than her earthly father and her heart starts to get melted and changed and falls in love with Jesus and serves people in this city and in this church and the marginalized. Right, what's at stake is uh, a, a guy whose grandparents are missionaries and parents are missionaries and grew up in the church, me, right, and did everything right and was the good kid and was the good kid in the youth group. And you know where I was headed? I was headed for living a very religious life without Christ a very religious life of doing a lot of moral things and showing up to church and maybe even being a leader in church and yet didn't have a relationship with Jesus Christ until some people came along and modeled it. And even my own parents started to model more and more. This is what the gospel really looks like. It's not religion, it's not church, it's not morality. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ and saved me from living a really good religious life. What a beating that would be without Christ. What a beating that would be without Christ to just live religiously. What a waste. How lost would that make me? Make me a Pharisee, right? It'd, it'd make me this guy who's trying to do all these things and, and earn all this credit without having a relationship with Jesus. Right? That's what's at stake. The lost is at stake. And we get to be a part of that, guys. We get to be used and we get to be a part of that. And maybe you're in this room and you hear that, and you say, I'm not there yet with Jesus. So what you're doing is you're talking about me right now. I love that you're here. I freaking love that you're here. You are in the right place. I don't think it's an accident that you're here. right? You're not going to get exposed. You're in the right place. And I, I believe that God has you here for a purpose. And if you're in this room and you say, man, I'm not there yet. I don't have that relationship with Christ. Maybe I'm just trying to do the religious thing. Or maybe I've been doing the worldly thing, but I'm, I'm not quite there yet. And praise God that you're here. I hope what you hear and I hope what you see, we're so imperfect, but I hope what you see is a body of people who love the way Christ loves. right? And, and there's people who aren't there yet, who aren't ready to follow Jesus. It's, it's for good reasons, guys. In Fort Worth, Texas, it's for good reasons. It's not because we live in a third world country and they never heard the name of Jesus. No, it's for really good reasons that maybe, maybe if that's you, that you're not there because you've seen the hypocrisy of the church. You've seen a lot of people who talk a big game about Christianity and what it means to you and you've seen their lifestyle. It's because you've seen judgment. 
It's because maybe you've seen it as an emotional crutch and you're like, man, I just don't think I need the emotional crutch that you guys do. And those are all great, great barriers. I just, I just don't think they're right. And I love you enough to tell you that. And I dare you to continue to step into that and say, okay, if this thing is real, then what's that look like? And then we continue to invite other people into that. What we're doing is we're starting a series next week that's gonna be six weeks. It's gonna be six weeks on just barriers to the faith, right? It's gonna be strictly designed to say, man, what are the areas that keep us from knowing and loving Christ more, right? Have you guys ever had the thought? Have you guys ever had the thought, how convenient, right? How convenient that this just happens to be the right way? That was a huge thing for me, man. When I turned 18, uh, I was living overseas and I remember thinking, what? I just happened to be born into a Christian family, right? And, and I've got this Christian upbringing, and that just happens to be the one right way. That seems super convenient to me. And I had to wrestle with that. And I had to ask honestly, okay, well, Lord, you're gonna have to show me this, and I'm gonna really wanna do something. So let's ask those hard questions. For the next six weeks, let's ask bold, hard questions. For us to wrestle with our own faith, if you're in Christ in this room, but also to invite other people in. To say, hey, come, I, th- I think God's doing something here. I think this family's a little different. come. Be invited into this. Our city, um, our city needs Christ. Do we care about our city? Do we care about the world? Do we care about the people in this room? Um, That's our heart. Our heart is that everyone would be able to come face to face with Christ because he is worth it and because he's worthy. For those of you who are all in, right? For those of you who are in this room on Wednesday night, you're serving, you're plugged in, you're all into this thing. Ask yourself, man, talk to the Lord tonight and say, am I, what's that look like? What's my obedience look like to this mission? Am I all, I know I'm all in in my walk with Christ, but what does my mission look like? I'm, I'm in his family, I've been adopted, but what's my, what's my obedience to his mission look like? That's what it means to follow Jesus. Um, there's a lot of fear, there's a lot of insecurity that holds us back but we're told that we prepare the horse for battle, but victory is the Lord's. We're told, hey, just be obedient. God's gonna do the work. Just be obedient to step into the mission field. He's gonna make lives changed, not you. Um, That's the church. That's our mission. Here's some next steps uh, I want real practically to end this way, and I think also to kind of set up where we're going as a ministry the next six weeks. Um, Practically, here's what I wanna challenge you to do. Start praying. Like, start praying like not just after the last worship song, but like start praying like every day. Like what if you prayed every car ride, right? Prayed every car ride, Lord, where are you working? Lord, what is your spirit doing? God, who do you have a heart for? Who, where is the harvest plentiful and the workers few? Let me step into that. God, give me your eyes and your sensitivity. Start praying that you would see the way he sees and then start praying for faith, that you would have faith and boldness to step in obedience into those relationships to start loving people well, to start, to start inviting them. Here's the other thing, too. Don't do it by yourself. You don't have to do this by yourself. Invite other people into this community. This ministry exists. This ministry exists as a tool for you to do just that. Be obedient. For you to invite other people in. Man, I got this coworker, and I'm trying to, I'm trying to encourage him. I, I want him to know. I want him to know Christ because I want his life to be blessed. I want him to be changed. And I, I want... I want him to know the fullness of what that relationship looks like. 
Man, I'm hitting a wall. Man, invite them in. The next six weeks, use the next six weeks to invite people in and say, man, just come and check this out. Come and check this out. Be a part of what God is doing. Um, don't try to do this as a lone ranger, right? Get in a small group and invite other people into that or, or grab somebody you know and say, hey, man, let's go to them. He would never walk into a church, so let's just start meeting him at a bar, right? Will you come with me and let's just start loving people well, loving people the way God calls us to. Don't, you don't do it alone. Uh, the other thing, too, is man, we want to reach our city. We want to reach the nation, too. Right? We don't... We don't go to Belize because it's fun and it's something we're supposed to do every year, right? Uh, we're doing Belize sign-ups right now. And every year, we, take, we now take two trips to Belize. We work with these two pastors, uh, Cano and Crisantos, and the main pastors we, we partner with in the southern part of the country. It's impoverished, right? Most of the people in the villages that we're serving are also the, the security guards and the, the maids in the hotel we're staying at. And so we get to show up and just start being a light in that place because we're called to. Man, come and be a part of what God is doing there. Man, say yes to that. Say, man, that is so far out of my comfort zone. Right, that's so far out of my comfort zone. Great, be obedient. Talk to the Lord and say, okay, I'm in. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna give up. I'm gonna give up a week. I'm gonna give up five days of work or four days of work or whatever it is. And I'm gonna go and I'm gonna serve Christ. And I'm gonna be obedient and I'm gonna love some kid in Belize that doesn't have a dad. And I'm gonna spin him around in a circle for like nine hours is kind of what, what we do there, right? I'm gonna be a part of the medical clinic because I've got some experience. I'm gonna, I'm gonna build some stuff because I got construction experience or I don't at all. And then we're just gonna give you a hammer and give you really clear nails. We're gonna highlight nails for you to hammer so you don't ruin anything, right? And say, but I don't know if I'm equipped. You are equipped. You're called to be obedient. So step into that. Come with us to Belize and go on the other side. Well, it's not really the other side. We'll go to the southern part of the hemisphere, right? And serve people and love people and, and be out of your comfort zone. It's like, yeah, but that's expensive and yeah, that's a distance and that's a hard. Yes. Yes. That's what following Jesus is. We're not gonna sugarcoat that. Or if, if you can't go, then support somebody who is going. Pray for somebody who is going. Buy a shirt, right? We sell those shirts here uh, at Renovate, not because we like selling shirts, but because all of that goes to scholarship other people to go on the Belize mission trip, right? That's why we sell the shirts. The shirts are all paid for, so your $20 goes straight to help somebody else who's having a hard time raising money. So if it's like, man, I can't go, buy 50 shirts, right? Or just write a check to somebody and say, man, I can't go, but I'm gonna send you, and next year I'm gonna pray about, or there's another mission trip you know, that I heard about. Or I'm gonna go, go out of your comfort zone. Love your family. Love the people closest to you. Love your coworkers. Don't miss those who are right around you. And then also go and find people way out of your comfort zone to love and to be obedient to. Um, we actually have a design on the shirt that we have. Uh, Jeffrey put up there. So we put this on the shirt, which, which ironically is tonight's verse, right? This is, you're like, what's the, up with the Roman numeral? It stands for 2 Corinthians, see the 2, and then 5, 19. 2 Corinthians 2, 2 Corinthians 5, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians 5, 19. <laughs> I can't read Roman numerals. Uh, right, and we have that on there because that is the heartbeat of this ministry. That's who we want to be in this city. 2 Corinthians 5, 19. Put it back up there, Jeffrey. 2 Corinthians 5, 19. God's beautiful. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. 
He was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. If you are my brother and sister in this room, then the God of the universe has entrusted a message to you. What are you doing with it? What are you doing with the message he's entrusted to you? And if you are in this room and you are not in Christ, the God of the universe wants to drastically change your life with a relationship with him. He doesn't want your religion. He doesn't want your good works and your good deeds. In fact, he calls those filthy rags. He wants you to surrender your life and follow him. And I'm telling you, it's better. That's the message. It's better than anything else you can choose. Let me pray over you and let's respond and worship. Father, we love you. Thank you for how you love us. Um, thank you for your grace, God. Lord, would we be obedient with this? I'd have got all of this. Lord, we have so much work to do in all the, these areas, God. We want to be your church, your body. We don't care about the building. We don't care about uh, this brick and mortar. We want to be a community of people, Father, who look the way you commanded us to look, Lord, who are a family and who speak hard truth and who love hard people and who sacrifice our lives for each other, God. And then we want to be on your mission, Lord. Would you give us the faith, Lord, to do that? Would your spirit convict? Not my words, not songs we sing, not guilt trips to go on trips or sign up for home groups, or, but God, would your spirit convict us and show us what obedience looks like in our life? Father, we love you. We are grateful for you. Thank you for how you love us. In the name of Jesus, amen.